Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Does it feel like your favorite college football team or sports team is switching conferences all the time? What's behind all the movement and the realignment of conferences? Coastal Carolina University President Michael Benson has a piece in the Deseret.com today arguing that it's not the obvious reason of just sports. And he joins us now uh, to break it all down. President Benson, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I hope you all are staying cool out there. It's about 94 in South Carolina with uh, 85% humidity. So uh, I know it's a dry heat out there in Utah, but uh, I wish everybody's doing well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we're just we're just hot with smoke right now. We're waiting for a little uh, blue sky to come. And, uh, of course, uh, you have a long history here in the state of Utah uh, before you uh, went to coastal Carolina and went to eastern Kentucky where you were for uh, quite a while. Uh, at Southern Utah University, of course, University of Utah as well. And uh, in your piece today, uh, you really give us some important perspective in terms of conference realignment. Uh, And you suggest that it's academics, not athletics, that are really king. Well, when I I penned the piece, I I certainly meant to convey to the readers that uh, it's part of a calculus, it's part of the equation as conferences uh, consider whom to invite. Um, is it the most important? Uh, I'll leave that to the presidents and chancellors that are around that table that make the decisions. But uh, a lot of what you hear about contracts and eyes on, on cable TVs and that sort of thing with, with streaming and access to games and so many different platforms now, that's not nearly as to- talked about as much as what we would call institutional fit. And that institutional fit for a conference, let's say, for example, the, the Big Ten, where all members are uh, member schools are members of the American Association of American Universities, a, a, an entity founded in 1900. And in my piece, I try to give a little bit of background as to its origins, its genesis. Five years, university presidents got together and decided that we were learn, losing way too many students to Europe to study, particularly graduate uh, programs, to pursue graduate degrees. And they also wanted to help us in their letter. Uh, they said to uh, fellow um, institutions that they invited to strengthen the weaker institutions. So, you know, up until that point, 1900, graduate education was done much better in Europe than it was in the United States. So, um, the 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 change that the the emphasis on graduate education and the fact that we wanted to keep the best and brightest here in the United States. And as I said in my piece, 
Uh, America may have a lot of deficits, but our higher education system is not one of them. It remains the envy of the world. And so as conferences look at this, this realignment shuffling, these tectonic shifts, it, it certainly plays in a, in a conversation in the Big Ten. Does the Pac-12, for example, want to pick up some of the Big 12 schools? Uh, the SEC certainly uh, made a power grab with Texas and Oklahoma. Texas is a member of the AAU. But of the 64 institutions that make up of the AAU, uh, they are some of the best of the best. And so presidents and chancellors, I would argue, look at that uh, as much as they do anything when they consider uh, possible membership for these other institutions. Yeah, that institutional fit, I think, is is an interesting thing to look at. And, and uh, then looking, of course, at uh, what you're really producing there, as, as you mentioned uh, the U.S. continues to really be the envy of the world. 14 of the top 20 universities uh, worldwide are U.S. schools. Uh, I want you to take take us behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, when you were at the University of Utah, uh, you were part of a really interesting pursuit of, I think, the ultimate championship uh, in terms of what the uh, University of Utah would actually produce. Take us behind the scene on that. Tell us that story. Well, I was recruited to well, – I started at the University of Utah as a fundraiser and then uh, had the wonderful opportunity of working for Bernie Matchin as his assistant. Bernie had come from the University of Michigan, and if you look at the um, rankings of institutions in terms of uh, money spent both by the institution but also what they uh, attract with federal support – Johns Hopkins is number one in terms of, of annual support, and look at listen to this number: two point five billion dollars. And number two on that list is uh, the University of Michigan at one point five billion. So Bernie had come from a, a really strong research uh, kind of centric background, came to Utah, and I remember a conversation one time we were driving to a Regents meeting in, in Logan. He said uh, he'd been on the job for a few months. He said this is a really fine school. And someday they will have two things. They will have a Nobel laureate on the faculty. That came in 2007 when Mario Capecchi won in, in medicine. And number two, he said someday they'll, they'll get an invitation to join the AU, the Association of American Universities. Now, that happened in 2019. Uh, both of us we had long been gone from, from Utah. But as I said in my piece, it's a, it's a tribute to everybody that works so hard, the, the faculty, the staff, the students, the administration, that this singular recognition came to to Utah, of the Pac-12, only three institutions are not members of the AU. So when Utah and Colorado were extending invitations, that boosted their numbers even more. And it, 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 it does so much in terms of your academic profile and your research profile. This to give you an idea, $26 billion is distributed uh, among American universities every year from the federal government for research. And of that, uh, 60% goes to AAU institutions. And those AAU, AAU institutions are only 1.6% of the 4,000 degree granting uh, entities or universities in the country. So it, as I said to, uh, to uh, Paul Feinbaum the other day, the, you know, the AAU really punches above its weight class uh, in terms of what they produce with what they have. And for Utah to be a part of it, I think it's really, really special. And I hope uh, you know, people appreciate that. In a state, like, for example, like Iowa, your two big institutions, Iowa State and Iowa, are both members of the AU, and they may be unique in that, but for for the U to be in that uh, grouping is really special. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we have uh, Michael Benson, president of Coastal Carolina University, uh, on the phone with us, uh, a great piece on Deseret.com, really getting some interesting perspective in terms of the academics 
uh, not just the athletics uh, when it comes to conference alignment and what that really means. Uh, before I let you go, President, I, I want to hit just real quick. Uh, most people recall uh, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, just a, a really great moment uh, on the football field, uh, which happened as uh, you and uh, with Coastal Carolina, along with uh, BYU, uh, looking for a, a game to play and a place to play it, uh, showed that, <laughs> the, that that bipartisanship from, from south to west can actually work in college football. Give us a little behind the scenes there. Well, it, the credit goes to Tom Homo uh, at BYU and also our athletic director here, Matt Hogue at Coastal. But I had sent, you know, we, both of our teams were 5-0. and I want to say this was probably – October, early November, and I sent a text to Tom, whom I know from my time in Utah. He's always been very kind and gracious to me. And I said, Tom, now would be a great time to announce a home-and-home in the future between our two institutions. And he texted back. He said, look, Michael, we'd love to, but you know, our future our future schedules are filling up, and you know, let's, let's talk uh, a ways down the road. Well, the ways down the road was about three weeks later <laughs> when, in point of fact, we had uh, Liberty on our schedule, and unfortunately uh, they ran into some COVID issues, so they had to cancel that game. BYU had an open date. Uh, we were out actually out in Utah, my family and I, for Thanksgiving with my mother-in-law, and Matt Hogue called me and said, you're not going to believe this, but it looks like we may be able to play your alma mater. And I thought, this is, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And it was a credit to BYU that they sent the semi on a Monday night, I think, or Tuesday to, to be able to get here in time. But wow. we didn't finalize the deal, I think, until Wednesday. And, I, you know, I've been to a lot of games, but what an atmosphere in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, for BYU to come all the way out there, and our team played really well. Both teams played very well, but for for people to say it was one of the best games of these of the season, um, amidst all the challenges that we were facing collectively, it was really a tribute to people that made it happen. So we're we're looking forward to doing the return trip and coming out there sometime in the future. But uh, we've got a good team this year, and I know BYU does. So I'll be following both teams very closely. All right, there we go. From academics to football and back, uh, it all comes full circle. Uh, President Michael Benson uh, from Coastal Carolina University, a great influence here in the state of Utah. Uh, President, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your leadership and your approach on so many things. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation, and go Shauna Clears. All right, there we go. There you have it. Uh, Michael Benson, again, Coastal Carolina. Uh, great insight there. Great piece on Deseret.com. Check that out. Are you tired of taxes? Uh, There may be a better way. Phil Dean from the Kim C. Gardner Institute joins me next to discuss a new study on how user fees might be better for the regular person. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.